Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Talk Radio 
that ravaged many homes, half a dozen homes. This is in Chester County and happening Easter, early Easter morning and displayed and displacing some 22 people, the community really coming together and trying to donate because these families have lost everything. And all the donations include the things that you need in life, but also Easter baskets for the kids. So there is a a silver lining with the community coming together, asking for donations, even gift cards this morning. But listen in, this is the latest from 6ABC News. I have to start over, um, but I have support. You know, I have my family. Um, Sorry. These three pictures are all Charlize Cooper has left of her Parksburg home, her childhood home on Washington Street, where she now raises her own six-year-old son, unrecognizable. They escaped with nothing but the clothes on their backs. You could tell something was was wrong. Um, I heard screams and commotion, and I had looked out my son's window, um, and I, you know, I had seen the neighbor's uh, porch on fire. The fire began just before 3 a.m. Spencer Nichols, who lives across the street, was one of the first on the scene and to call 911. Well, I looked out the window. It was about a uh, quarter to quarter 2:50, yeah. And it looked like the sky was on fire. Firefighters would arrive within six minutes. At that time, only two homes were on fire. Around 80 firefighters responded, but the flames would prove to be too much. Due to the high volume of fire that was present, the two additional exposure duplexes caught fire, which leaves us with the lawsuits behind us. Sunday afternoon, crews quickly demolished what was left, while donations for the fire victims began pouring in at the borough hall. The support for these people will be there. It's already there. Six families, 22 people like Charlize, who now have to start over. The donations have been tremendous. Um, and I thank you personally. I thank everybody from toys to clothes. It all helps. So this fire still under investigation. And among those firefighters who answered the call, tried to put this fast-moving fire out uh, and, and prevented it from spreading to other homes, but we know that at least one firefighter was, you know, did suffer injuries, is recovering. And these are not, we're told they're not life-threatening injuries, but still the firefighter, many, you know, many people um, concerned for the injuries that this firefighter suffered. But thanks to the firefighters uh, for the great job as they they made a valiant effort and, and certainly were able to stop the flames from spreading to other homes, but this morning the donations are coming in. It's really a, a story that has gone viral, and it's pretty amazing how people come together in a time like this. You know, I think of the the fire that ravaged, you know, the school that impacted the church where my husband and I have belonged for, you know, my goodness, some 23 years. We belonged to our Mother of Consolation in Philadelphia in the Chestnut Hill section of the city and just so many people, you know, making donations to the church and helping out the church, the fire really ravaged the, especially the school roof of the, uh, the, you know, adjacent school there, but the, the, no, you know, they haven't been able to, um, it affected the church, the chapel, although that didn't burn, but there's smoke damage and that sort of thing. So we haven't been able to get in. So thanks to the Sisters of St. Joseph, who made available the, you know, the commons, as it called, and Aaron, also the school gym at nearby Norwood Fontbonne Academy. But I, I can, 
you know, I think that sometimes when these tragedies happen in the sense that a fire like that ravaging homes and taking everything from people, and I think whether it's it's the homes or in our community, you know, the church community coming together and all the donations and the generosity bringing together the community. And I think that's, there's a beautiful piece to that as, you know, people grieve and you can't even imagine what that's like to lose everything in your home. And then you see the people coming out and saying in Chester, in Chester County here or in the case of, you know, our church and school community saying, thank God no one's life was taken. And I think that's, you have to always put that in perspective to think about these fires, what they've taken. In the case of OMC, they have ruled that in this historic building, 160 years old, it was an electrical fire. And it was an incredible fire that just burned. They could not get that thing out. And the roof collapsed. The firefighters had to, yeah, 120 firefighters in all, um, they had to evacuate because obviously that was a very dangerous situation. But um, I know many of you have donated. Many of you have, you know, are thinking about those who've, who've lost everything and yet get on their hands and knees and thank God that no lives were taken in all of this. So I just wanted to, I, I hope that you had a, a wonderful Easter weekend. If you celebrate Passover, obviously, as we've talked about Passover beginning last Wednesday, continuing through sundown this Thursday, and Ramadan continues as well. So certainly during this holy week, this time of year, I think we, we all come together as a community and think about those less fortunate and thank God for all the blessings that we have. Hi, I'm Dawn Stensland. I don't even know if I said hello because I'm you know continuing the reporting from six o'clock this morning. There's so much that's happening. And yes, the strike at Rutgers, historic. Governor Murphy getting involved. We'll talk about that this morning, the mayoral race. I do want to update you on the Christiana Mall situation in Delaware. Huge mall. I do love the Christiana Mall, uh, but they they have their share of, of troubles for sure. We know that this morning there are two victims in critical condition and a third victim in the hospital recovering in stable condition. Five other people were also injured during what happened at Christiana Mall in Delaware over the weekend. So the mall did open for the first time this morning. Everybody's safe, but it was a pretty scary situation. Let's listen in to um, some, you know, an update from, this is the TV side, but let's listen to the update here of what happened at Christiana Mall and this ongoing search for suspects. We heard like seven or eight shots, bam, 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 and everybody start running. Jim Harmon was waiting for his pizza at the food court. As he started to walk away, bullets started flying. I felt something graze off my shoulder, and it's just right here. It's not bad, they said, but it's okay. Earlier this evening, families were seen running from the mall after hearing reports of an active shooter. Chopper 6 overhead shows the extensive police presence surrounding Christiana Mall. Delaware State Police were called here just before 645. They say three people were shot and taken to local hospitals. Five others suffered injuries unrelated to the shooting. Police believe the shooting stemmed from an altercation between multiple suspects and at least one of the victims. This is what we train for. Um, and um, the Delaware State Police and, uh, you know, all the agencies in Delaware, you know, we, we do a great job. And this incident is just uh, one of the proof of that. And um, 
the crates officers that went in there responded immediately and um, located victims and secured the scene. Um, this is, what, this is what we prepare for. We talked with the shoppers who were told to run and hide, including a woman who is nine months pregnant. They put us inside the room, to wait it out until they found the shooter. She was shopping with her mother and her daughters. I have my daughters with me. I mean, the first thing in my mind is thank God they're safe and they're with me and I know where they're at. It's a situation she never thought she'd be in. Most important thing was to keep them safe and to stay safe and quiet until the shooter was found. Yeah, it, it's a scary situation. I had talked this morning about the last time I actually shopped at Christiana was it was right before Christmas time um, a couple years ago, and this was right before the pandemic. So that's how long it's been, and it was because we had a scare at Christiana Mall. So there are rumors swirling that that there are you know gang problems and sometimes gangbangers go to the mall and but but there's no confirmation that I've received from police from Delaware State Police as they still search for all the different you know suspects in this situation um so even though that's a rumor I don't have that official confirmation where they're saying that this particular situation was gang related the one that my family my boys obviously it was the beginning of the pandemic so they were younger and we were, Larry and I were in the food court. The kids were, you know, just within eyesight at the point that the panic broke. It turned out it was a fight. There were not shots fired, although that's what police at the time told us. But it's it's terrifying. You know, and you see the stampede and the panic and, and all of that. And it's a long time before you want to return to that mall. So to me, they need, I don't know, more security and armed guards. I'm a big advocate of that. Gosh, I'm, I'm just seeing that this morning there's another situation. A 72-year-old woman was shot and killed inside a beha- uh, behavioral, uh, behavioral center, I should say, behavioral center in the Frankfurt section of Philadelphia early this morning. Oof. The woman was shot multiple times through her body. No arrests made, but they say they know who the gunman was. No word on a motive. Oh, there's so much violence this morning after such a wonderful Easter weekend, but it's a crazy world we live in. I do want to hear about your Easter weekend. Do you still do the uh do you still do the Easter egg hunt? Now this morning I know that Anthony Dorenzo, our producer is not here. He is off uh for his family Easter weekend. So we have Jimmy Kelly here, our engineer, and Henry. Henry Meshette is here from so who now Henry, thanks for being here. It's good to work with you again. And we had, I know, now, usually Henry is on afternoons with the Zioli show. So who does Zioli, and Zioli's off because it's Bridget's, you know, they're doing the whole Easter week thing. So Zioli's off. Oh, you don't have a microphone yet. Okay. The mic's dead. So that's all right. So Henry's here. Jimmy's here. I think Opelka has been filling in a little bit for Zioli. But I know it's Bridget's birthday too. Happy, happy birthday to our fabulous Bridget Zioli. And it's um, Greg Stocker's birthday week, too. All these fabulous April birthdays. All right. So we'll move forward. We'll cover all the breaking news stories. We're so much developing today. We have that bizarre shooting down south with an active shooter situation. And we'll continue on with that and updating you with everything and all the breaking news. But I do want to hear from you about your Easter weekend. What did you do? What food did you serve? We were talking a lot about potatoes, homemade potato salad 
at a time when my husband, Larry Menti, and I have been doing these no-carb diets. I don't know what we were thinking to diet during, you know, so much good cooking over Easter. But let me know, 855-839-1210. I'm on Twitter, at Dawn Stenslin. You can hit me up. And uh, hopefully moving forward in the 11 a.m. hour, we get an update from Riley Gaines. I I first had her on the show and interviewed her when we were talking about, obviously, her experience with being a champion swimmer and how she felt, you know, sort of snubbed because they had to give up. They didn't have enough space and trophies and so on when local swimmer Leah Thomas uh, won and that whole situation. But now there's more with Riley Gaines being targeted and physically assaulted. It's an unbelievable situation and infuriating and why this is not getting more attention in in the way that it should of the real victim being physically assaulted. That's really what it's not about the gender identity of someone who assaults somebody. It's about an assault against a person and then taunting her after assaulting her. And it's a video that's gone viral. We'll talk about all of that. And hopefully we do get the update from Raleigh Gaines. I know she appreciates the support and uh, hopefully we'll we'll get justice and whether that's in the criminal justice system, I'm calling for this as a federal hate crime, but also, you know, she's filing suit as a civil suit, as she should. This is terrible. The fact that the media, the mainstream media, so-called, is not covering it in the way that they are, uh, it's, it's a sin, as I say. And then I'll update you as well on the Proud Boys trial. My focus is that I always see the local angle to that one. And that is that a local United States Marine, honorably discharged Temple grad, husband, father from the Northeast, from our area, has been imprisoned for more than two years at this point. And I feel that he is being denied due process. This is Zachary Rill. And his wife is still here in their home. It's it, to me, I, I just cannot believe that this goes on. I mean, I can believe it, but you know what I mean. It's it's wrong. And this trial has dragged on with all kinds of sh- nonsense. Shena- I was almost going to say shenanigans, but it, just a lot of nonsense. No matter what side of the aisle, this should not be um, a partisan issue. It should be about justice. And I thought that Lady Justice had the blindfold on. Well, the blindfold's off for sure. So we'll talk about that. We'll update the Proud Boys trial as well in D.C. There's so much happening. 855-839-1210 on Twitter at, at Dawn Stensland. We're going to take a quick break. Be right back. So Easter Sunday, we went to 9 a.m. Mass. Usually we go to the 11, but we went to the 9 a.m because we were going to head down the shore to Seattle City for a big family gathering. So we were starving and decided to go to Michael's Diner, which we used to go there all the time. You do this where you, I don't know, you go to your favorite little breakfast place. We love the Fair Lane in Flower Town. There are great places in Chestnut Hill. But we said, let's go to Michael's Diner. We haven't been there in a little bit in uh, Glenside. Love Michael's Diner, right? And then, and I didn't even realize this this controversy was going on because I would have asked them about it, but apparently they had a, a controversy where one employee told another employee I don't, that 
you know, she wasn't allowed to wear her, she's Muslim, and she wears a, the headscarf or hijab, as it's called, as a sign of her faith. So whatever went on, Michael's family restaurant, they're good people. They've been in the community 15 years. The food is delicious. Service is great. Um, so I was like surprised to see this, but they, they released a statement. It looks like they've quickly tried to amend this. But let's listen into the story. I want to get your take on something like this. But it's a, it's a shame. And now the NAACP is, is involved. So I don't know what that means. But listen, and this is the, the latest report on what happened to um, this employee, teenage employee. I guess her mom is a waitress there, a server at Michael's Family Restaurant in Glenside. 16-year-old Zakaya Camper is a proud Muslim who wears her headscarf or hijab as a sign of her faith, but she says she was told to take off her hijab in order to work. Her first day she wore it, she showed up for training, she wore it, and then they told my sister that she couldn't wear it when she came back, but she wore it anyway. Tonight her aunt spoke to Action News. She says her niece was hired as a waitress at Michael's Family Restaurant in Glenside. That is also where the teen's mother works. My sister, you know, is in a situation where she feels as though, you know, she has to give in to their demand of, you know, removing her hijab. She's not in the spot where she can refuse to. But she doesn't believe it's right. Saturday afternoon, the NAACP and community members met outside the eatery. So we're here in support of this young lady and her family uh, to show that as a community, this is something that won't be tolerated. For this type of accident to occur, doing this specific holy time is really a disgrace. And Michael's family restaurant in Glenside released a statement saying one of their employees violated the values of their establishment and she has since been terminated. The statement also reads, we are saddened that this incident disrupted the peaceful observance of the month of Ramadan. We commit to meeting with Muslim American community members to listen to them and also have our staff go through a sensitivity training to ensure an incident like this never repeats. Our goal is to make them listen, to make them understand that you can't treat people the way that you want to treat them. Religion and wearing your hijab is a right. Yes, yeah, so I would say in this case, and I want to get your take on this, 855-839-1210. Because we've been patronizing this restaurant for the 15 years that they've been open, I can just tell you they have, over the years, they have, first of all, a very diverse customer base, people who come, you know, of all walks of life, all faiths, all, you know, ethnicities. And certainly I've seen customers, uh, women in there who've worn their hijab. Uh, So, and I'm trying to remember if we, we probably have had waitresses and servers over the years. So I, this was a surprise to me, but the family, hardworking family, um, very loving. And it does not surprise me that they immediately, you know, took care of this. Maybe somebody was, didn't understand the, that what the headscarf that it, that represents somebody's faith. That's what I'm thinking here was an ignorant, ignorance type situation, but the family acted, it sounds like quickly. This is one of those cases. If you've ever worked in the restaurant business and I waitressed my way through journalism school, it's one of those reasons that if you have a restaurant, why you, you always feel like you have to be there. You have to be on the job because, you know, even though you train people in and and you feel like you, the person is fully trained in, 
something like this happens where maybe it's a relatively new employee, you don't you you believe that they understand all the different diversity and so on, but maybe they don't. That's apparently what happened here. They they really reached out to the community, released this statement saying, you know, we thank everyone who reached out to our restaurant to record their disappointment. We share their sentiments and the family releasing the statement saying we would like to underline that we value and respect every background that we proudly serve, including our Muslim American customers. We are saddened that this incident disrupted their peaceful observance of the month of Ramadan. And needless to note, our beloved employee will be able to work here with her Kamir, with her, they're referring to her hijab and so on, should she wish to do so. And then they go on. It's a very long uh, statement that they released and uh, very appropriate, but it's a sad situation to me. Also, there's a, a legal element to this because now the NAACP is involved. They're saying that the 16-year-old has, quote-unquote, legal representation. I hope for this for this restaurant, that they are not sued because in this time, you know, restaurants have gone through a very tough time and have struggled. And the fact that they could stay open for me, to, to me personally, I feel that the restaurant, you know, family run, family owned, they handled, when they found out about this, they were immediate in their response and felt that this was a disgraceful action by a rogue employee who they and they immediately took action that that's my feeling about it and the fact that you know the the 16 year old's mom is a longtime employee it's really an unfortunate situation that happened but i hope moving forward that they can be an example of a company that's a good company and i can just tell you over the years because we've gone to them you know so many years we've gone there that um they really do serve the community, and I, I just feel saddened that this happened. We had no idea when we went Easter morning, but I'm glad that we went and patronized them because they're, you know, they're good people. And this is the problem when you have a restaurant like this, and um, then do you get sued? Are you on the hook for some kind of a settlement? You have to hire a lawyer, and then it costs you big time or your insurance company covers it and then you have to your insurance rates are going to go up um this is really a sad situation to me as far as all all the way around when you look at it right for the 16 year old girl that that stinks that she was basically bullied at work by somebody who was just ignorant it sounds like that's my take on it so you can tell me what what your take is if you are in business the kind of training that you have to think about nowadays but 855-839-1210. Remember even in New Jersey, the former um, AG, and he wore a faith-based, you know, his faith-based garb. And then there was a, a radio host who made some, you know, some ignorant comments, came back, apologized, didn't lose his job. But sometimes this is, you know, before you make fun of somebody because of their headgear or their hat, etc., just, you know, think about it. We have to be smart, and I think in this case, it's not really, to me, it's not about so-called inclusive or DEI. It's not what it's about. It's about just being kind and being respectful. I really wish that we didn't have this 
all this training that's called DEI. It, it's not DEI. It's called being respectful, right? Respecting somebody else. And in, instead of having that first instinct to say, oh, what's that hat? What's that scarf on your head? You know, just think about it and be respectful. It's respectful. It's, it's what is it? Training that's about respect. That's what I would call it. Respect, not DEI. And then sometimes that leads people down this partisan path. It should not be partisan to just show respect for other individuals in your community. Am I right here? Well, you can, you can correct me if you think I'm being, if I'm wrong, but 855-839-1210. Ah, that's the number at Dawn Stensland on Twitter. We'll take a quick break. We'll be right back. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink... What you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did. We're getting new information on this shooting in Louisville, Kentucky. Police there confirming the FBI is involved. It's a major situation, but police are confirming five people are dead. At least six others are injured after the shooting this morning in downtown Louisville, Kentucky. One of those injured is a police officer who was who's you know was just rushed to the hospital along with those others injured. Police say the shooter was found dead at the scene and police are not saying whether or not uh, they're counting the shooter among the five dead or not. So is it five people dead and then and then the shooter would be the sixth dead in other words and then six other people survived including the officer. It happened right around nine-ish this morning. And um, police were evacuating the area, creating that perimeter, calling it an active aggressor on East Main Street there. The shooting happened at the old National Bank building. And it's right next to the Louisville Slugger Field. So we have that confirmation, at least from police, FBI involved and gunshots, a voice yelling out, active shooter situation. So it's a breaking news situation. Um, we know that the mayor there had tweeted out for the public to evacuate that area. We know the governor is being called to the scene as they investigate. And we are expecting a news conference on the situation as to what in the world happened, choppers overhead. But it looks like, obviously, now the threat is over. But the questions now remain uh, just a real tragedy striking the, the city of Louisville, Kentucky. 
five confirmed dead there with this shooting scene. So we'll continue to follow that one for you. Oh, what a sad, sad Monday morning for sure. As we talk about, you know, what's happening in our in our region and beyond. And I've talked a lot about school safety. We're talking about the mayor's race. We're talking about the strike at Rutgers. Uh, by the way, Senator Bob Casey Jr., the lesser Casey, as Yildi calls him, he's making it official. He is seeking the fourth term as senator. We'll talk about that this morning. But Henry's mic is is working, as is Jimmy Kelly. So good morning. Jimmy, how was your Easter? My Easter was good. How was yours? Good. It's fabulous. Good. How about you, Henry? Yeah, I had a nice relaxing Easter for once. It was nice. Yeah. You uh, do the do you guys do the your families do Easter brunch? What do you do on Easter? You so, go to church? So yeah, I went to church, but we switched up a little bit this year. We actually had a celebration uh, last weekend. There's a little bit of a Palm Sunday Easter thing, just because it worked better for everyone else. And then uh, yesterday, went to church, had a nice dinner with uh, at my aunt and uncle's house, and nice. that was that. Nice, Jimmy. How about you? Well, I spent part of my day here, and then I went home, and then Carol. My sister-in-law and her boyfriend went out. We went out to Seasons 52, had a nice dinner, and then Carol and I came home, and we uh, sat around, had a bottle of wine, and played some records. Nice. Yeah. Played records? Love yes. That. You know, records. You like know, you, actual records? Yeah. You put them on the turntable. My kids don't even know what those are. <laughs> The comeback. No. Yeah, they've been on a comeback for a while. Yeah, I know. You, you put them on the turntable, you hit the little thing, and the arm comes and it drops <laughs> down. I had a little bit of trouble, though, because we had just bought this thing, and I couldn't get the arm really to work, so I had to mess around with it a little bit and tweak it. And after about maybe an hour, I finally got it to work. And, so and what were you playing? Sinatra? What were you? No, nah, I think we were playing, let me see, we played the first Asia album, we played Queen because, you know, there's no way we're going to break in a new turntable without Queen. My wife will not have that. She is a big <laughs> Queen fan. Rihanna? And I don't think we have any Rihanna on album. <laughs> Let me see. We played that and we played Duran Duran because she's a big 80s fan. Uh, I wanted to play Genesis or Yes or The Who, but I was kind of outvoted. But yeah. maybe maybe today when I get home, I'll, I'll throw on a Who album or something. I love it. Yeah. You know, we're, I was talking earlier this morning, and I'm not surprised by this, because my teenage boys, the Mar- the new Mario movie, which is animated, but it's, you know, Chris Pratt is among the voices, and I'm not surprised. My youngest son has seen it twice in the past, what, week and a half? Oh, wow. I don't really? know if you guys have seen this movie, the Mario no. movie. Yeah. So there's, have you seen it? No, I have no intention of <laughs> Oh, you had no intention? no. no. You know, maybe if I was a little younger, yeah, because I did play Mario, you know, exclusively back in the day, but now, eh, not so much. Well, that's what, you know, so I didn't go, but I drove the kids, and they went with a group of, you know, teenage boys going to it, but they, I said, how many adults? And they said, yeah, a lot of, lot of adults, because it's the n- nostalgia. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Game. But they, in this movie, a huge box office hit. So it's um, Chris Pat. Um, also, another name you'll recognize from if you watch the Queen's Gamut. She's Anna Taylor Joy. Do you remember that? Isn't the Queen the the, the chess yeah. player movie or okay. series, right? Mm-hmm. And of course, Jack Black among those. But huge at the box office, huge hit. So congratulations to that. I'm glad to see any movie 
that Absolutely. is right. Rotten Tomatoes did not give it. They said the best, uh, the best reviews, but they're opening up all records smashed on opening weekend. That's what we're hearing from. That, it's a blockbuster. That's really cool. I haven't been in the movies in so long. It's just nothing really out there that grabs my interest. Well, this one, I don't know. I think this was. It's good because you're getting. The people who like the nostalgia, but then you're getting the teens. So you're kind of getting that one. I'm looking at uh, the Rotten Tomato score right now. It's got a 56% score from the critics, but the audience score is a 96%. And that's all you need to know. Yeah. Yeah, The crowd loves it. I mean, the critics are just going to say it's a video game movie because they're just so snooty about it. They don't know what they're... And it's like you said, the nostalgia of video games. Because I'm from an age where when video games first came on the scene the Atari 2600. That was the big thing back Atari. in the 80s. Yeah, Atari. I'm showing my age here, Dawn. And then <laughs> eventually we upgraded and got something called ColecoVision. That was a game changer. But the real game changers came in the 90s with the Nintendo, the Sega Genesis, and the Sony PlayStation without question. You still can't get a PS5. It's crazy. I know. The Super Mario Brothers movie, just to wrap it up, I want to give you the numbers. Um, Blockbuster. So it crushed the competition with $204.6 million in domestic. Okay, but globally, $377 million for its debut over the long Easter weekend. Wow. And your kids saw it twice? Yeah. Now, do your kids own video game consoles? Oh no! Oh no! What do they? No, really? <laughs> I'm being sarcastic. Oh no! I'm yeah. Sorry. We have everything. Okay, so what do you have? Like the uh, PlayStation or the Xbox or whatever? all the above? All the above? All the above? Your kids play Grand Theft Auto? Oh yeah, of course. Okay. And then the um, what's it? Oculus? That whole thing? Uh, oh, the Oculus Rift. Yeah. yeah, all that stuff they got. Which I guess you can do workouts too, which I still have to get on there. But yeah, they have everything. Oh, okay. For sure. Ah, but congr- I'm glad for any any movie that's making it. That's, um, you know, and they, they're not just making it. They're smashed all the records. It's pretty, it's incredible. Yeah. All the records smashed on opening weekend. So we'll see what it does long term. All right. Let's talk about spring officially arriving. No better time right now than to find that new or certified luxury vehicle you've been wanting my friends from piazza premium automobiles they're always here for you to assist you in your unique vehicle search and that's throughout the tri-state region that's right the piazza premium family featuring dealerships across pennsylvania delaware and new jersey their newest location by the way jaguar land rover of harrisburg so they're literally they're everywhere and that's what i love about and great family Family-run business, family, the Piazza family, you know, the Piazza name, a trustworthy name, but a family who's been in our region, um, you know, they're from here and certainly started this business nearly 60 years ago. So find your Alfa Romeo, Maserati, Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Jaguar, or Land Rover at PiazzaPremiumAutos.com, P-I-A-Z-Z-A, PiazzaPremiumAutos.com, and please let them know Dawn sent you. Good one. little video game tribute. That's the old school sound of Mario, right? Yeah. Movie. Yeah, it's the old school sound. Movie pretty amazing right now. 
This is The Dawn Show, 855-839-1210. If you want to sound off as we move forward in the day, updating you on what's going on, not just here in Philadelphia or Pennsylvania or New Jersey or beyond in Delaware. We talked about Christiana Mall for sure. And did you see SNL over the weekend? And did you think it was funny? You know that? Did you guys see Saturday Night Live over the weekend? No, I didn't, but you I didn't? heard all the clips. Yeah. I thought that was funny. Jimmy? Saturday, Saturday Night Live was actually funny. I, I sometimes forget it's even on, right? to be honest with yeah, you. Yeah, exactly. I'm the same way. Yeah. I used to be such a fan when I was a kid of to Saturday me, Night Live. Yeah, I mean, it, it used to be funny. Now, it's to me, it's like the... The Trump impersonator. Do we have the Do we have the clips? I know we played some of them this morning. Do you have them, Henry? Yeah, let me try and pull it from Kale's folder. Um, yeah, from because I know you know Greg Stocker played some early this morning. But if you missed it, so they start out with this scene, and it's like a scene where they're playing, you know, Jesus and the disciples, and talking about the fact that it's Easter weekend and that sort of thing. I will say, I have family members and friends who thought it was weird last week that when donald j trump was officially like charged and had to go to court in new york it was during you know a holy week after palm sunday and if you're one of those people like i have so many family members who go to mass every morning go to 7 a.m mass or involved in whatever uh, church that whether they're protestant or whether they're catholic go to church every day and so if you follow along the timeline when, you know, the Bible timeline daily, then you think about the fact that there, I will tell you, I had friends and family who said, do you notice that Trump was like, he's he's being uh, charged on the same day, like Jesus was arrested. I was like, well, that's just creepy. I didn't think of that. But so I, I will say I will go there that I did have family and friends saying that. And there was some chatter about that. But do you have it, Henry? Uh, wasn't saved in the audio folder. Okay, that's to, all right. Yeah, I'm trying to pull a clip here. So that's all right. Well, moving forward, we'll play it. But you know, was it was it a little sacrilegious? Was it over the top that they're making fun? Ultimately, they're making fun of Jesus and his crucifixion. Let's just be real here. Uh, over a, a holy weekend, and is that off limits or should you know? And this is where we we talk about comedy being politically correct or incorrect was it funny wasn't it funny so i'll I'll get your take on it well in the next hour maybe we'll play some of those clips and get your take on it because i'm all for edgy humor you think of dave Chappelle, and there there are you know no limits on what's funny my point is more more that you know snl have they ever made fun of really made fun of Biden or KJP, which there's so much fodder to make fun of Biden with the whole, think about the Easter bunny thing where the Easter bunny was telling the president which way to go and he shouldn't talk and so on and so forth. I mean, there's so much to spoof and yet they have to go to great lengths to not spoof what's really funny in this current administration. And they don't have to be mean spirited about it. But instead, they always are going to make fun of Republicans. So I, I will just say that that piece of it is a little annoying that they've never spoofed KJP. I mean, come on. So I'll, I'll get your take on that one, 855-839-1210. And then we do have updates, I will tell you, 
um, moving forward. Maybe we'll, we'll, we may take this live up, you know, update as we think about what's happening with this uh, shooting. We're getting updates from police, FBI on the scene. As they say, this was a bank shooting. This was a downtown Louisville, Kentucky, inside a bank. And we do have word that an off, you know, officer down, that word went out. So we have a police officer among those injured and survived the shooting, but five killed. So um, we're, we're waiting the update on exactly what happened here. So they've said that the suspect was, quote unquote, neutralized. We don't know if the officer was the one, the officer who was injured um, is the one who shot and killed the gunman in this case. But the shooter, it is confirmed that the, the gunman, the shooter, is confirmed to be dead on the scene. So witnesses say this guy walks into the old National Bank building and opens fire. Ugh, a tragic situation here in uh, Louisville, Kentucky, as we try to get the latest word on that one. And then we have closer to home, talking about Philadelphia Public Schools. You know, I think about what happened in Philadelphia with all of the school shutdowns and the Zoom learning, which was a joke. And we we know that, you know, the kids in Philadelphia were not served. It was not fair. As the schools were shut down and it just felt like everybody here was all too eager to shut it down, have the kids Zoom learning, when in fact... More than half of the kids did not have the proper the proper technology, didn't have Wi-Fi, didn't have a tablet or a computer at home. It was a hot mess. And with everything the kids have been through, the only silver lining at the time, you may recall I said this, well, thank goodness, this gives them the time to actually fix up some of our dilapidated schools. We are in an historic old old city. And so one of the things we heard was that, okay, well, they're going to fix up the schools. We don't even have working HVAC in a good percentage, I think more than half of the schools, but also crumbling schools. And yes, schools with asbestos. And so it's not acceptable to me that that parents, and, and rightfully so, are outraged by the fact that now we learn that some of these schools uh, were not properly identified as having asbestos. So what's what's up with that? And we should have immediate hearings with L&I, with the inspectors. What happened? Who is being held accountable? Who either did not inspect or did the reports not get to where they needed to be? Was everybody just zooming it in, which is like phoning it in? And school safety of teachers and staff? And kids, that's the question, you know, and parents are are outraged over this. But now we have two more temporary Philadelphia public school closures. Why? Due to to asbestos. After they had years of the shutdowns to deal with this and inspect the schools and do the work. I mean, what a great time for what what a great opportunity to take the school closures and fix up the schools. But no, now we have more shutdowns. It's ridiculous. And we need to hold these people accountable. Whoever is accountable, we we need to know about it. We need transparency. And I don't see that. So let's listen in. Henry had, had grabbed the latest update on this one 
with two more temporary closures of Philadelphia public schools due to asbestos. But officials say this affects nearly 1,500 students. Nearly. We're told Frankfurt High School behind me will be closed for today, Joke. and then we'll go to virtual learning for the rest of the week, while Mitchell Elementary School will be virtual for the remainder of the school year. Now, here's what we're told. A principal sent out this letter to parents saying that they know that this was not an easy way to communicate, and not an easy thing to communicate, not having a school home for the rest of the school year. And she recognized and apologized for the challenges ahead. School leaders say the two schools, Mitchell Elementary School in Southwest Philadelphia and Frankfurt High School are among two of the oldest buildings in the district. Both are more than 100 years old. Original tests in 1990 showed no asbestos detected, but after asbestos was recently found in two other schools dating back to the same era, Building 21 and Simon Gratz Mastery Charter School, the district retested and found that certain plaster walls and ceilings do in fact contain asbestos. Intact asbestos is not dangerous, but when it's damaged, the materials release tiny potential, potentially toxic fibers into the air that can be ingested, which is why people are concerned. In a statement, the Philadelphia Federation of Teachers said in part, for years we called for critically needed investments in school facilities and for more transparency in the process of inspection and remediation. The closures of the Mitchell and Frankfurt buildings are emblematic of the need for both. Now, the district says it recognizes that this new information may raise more questions for students, families, and staff here. We're told as it continues to improve the inspection process, they do expect that possibly more schools will have this asbestos issue. They say they will continue to update the community as necessary. Yeah, so intact asbestos is not considered uh, dangerous. It's only when it's damaged, right, that the material releases these potentially toxic fibers. So that's the concern here. But my question is, you knew these schools were, wouldn't you during the pandemic say, hey, let's start with the oldest schools and do these inspections? So I just want to know. And, and we deserve the transparency, and that's what we're not seeing here. And the teachers' union is 100% correct. They deserve the transparency. And maybe since the union is complaining now uh, loudly, maybe that'll get some attention because the fact that children may have been exposed to this or were in danger, apparently that's not getting the attention. But at least the union speaking out about it, this is not acceptable. So these poor kids are out of school, especially at Mitchell Elementary School, and this is Southwest, and then Frankfurt High School. Uh, You know, the fact that at Mitchell, they're out of the classroom for the rest of the year, and this is after spring break. So they've been off now after, you know, spring break, come back. Oh, sorry, you're going to virtual learn for the rest of the school year. Not acceptable. There are tons of empty buildings in Philadelphia right now where you don't have workers. Figure it out. And bus these kids, provide them the transportation, and figure it out. You've got all that COVID money. Where's all the COVID money going? I have so many questions, and I'm so, this makes my blood boil. 855-839-1210. We have some live updates, breaking news, right around the corner. Dawn Show continues right after this. Talk Radio Hill Volvo Studios, where relationships matter. Live and local from Philadelphia. The Don Stenzel.
Joint Show on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. We are following this breaking news story. An officer is among those shot reportedly. This is inside an old historic bank building. And we know that there's a news conference. This is Louisville, Kentucky, five dead, six hospitalized. I believe that they're just beginning a news conference, so let's listen in. Uh, Louisville Metro Safe received a report of shots fired and a possible active shooter at 333 East Main Street at the Old National Bank. Within three minutes of being dispatched, officers arrived on scene and encountered the suspect almost immediately still firing gun, gunshots. Officers exchanged gunshots with that suspect and ultimately that suspect did die at the scene. We are trying to confirm if that suspect died of a self-inflicted gunshot wound or was killed by officers at this time. At least two officers were shot during this exchange of gunfire. One is currently in surgery at University of Louisville Hospital. At least four more victims were confirmed to be deceased inside the location, as well as eight that are now currently being treated at the University Hospital. Two are critical, one of those being the officer. We're currently working to identify all of the victims, work with their families for reunification and provide services to the families and the victims. The investigation, I want to reiterate, is ongoing. This will be a a long scene. It will take uh, pretty much into the night. Um, So I still ask that the public avoid the area. I want to reiterate that there is no active threat. Uh, We believe this is a lone uh, gunman involved in this that did have a connection to the bank. We're trying to establish what that connection was to the business, but it appears he was a previous employee. It is clear from the officer's response that they absolutely saved people's lives. This is a tragic event, uh, but it was was the heroic response of officers that made sure that no more people were more seriously injured than what happened. Uh, We will continue to provide updates uh, as soon as possible. We will have another press briefing following this at 3 p.m. today. I will turn it over to Mayor Craig Greenberg at this time. Thank you, Deputy Chief Humphrey. First, I ask that everyone around our city, around the country, around the world, pray with us for those who are currently at UofL Hospital injured, fighting for their lives as a result of another act of gun violence. And I want to thank all of the first responders, the the brave and heroic men and women of LMPD, who thanks to their efforts, quickly responded to the emergency call. And as you just heard from Deputy Chief Humphrey, without a doubt, their actions saved lives. There will be a lot more information we are able to provide as the day goes on. But I want everyone in the city to know that notwithstanding tragedies like today, when multiple people are killed by gun violence, notwithstanding tragedies when individuals are killed by gun violence. So we will we are we will monitor the situation. This is the mayor 
of Louisville, Kentucky. Um, this tragedy, the at least one police officer, as you're just hearing, in critical condition, two officers injured, but uh, many prayers. And I, I did love the fact that the mayor started out by saying, please pray for those, um, some who are fighting for their lives right now and in surgery. So we know that the officers are among those shot, the shooter, the gunman. We don't know the motive here in Louisville, Kentucky, a breaking news story as uh, we think about the morning after after Easter, after and certainly during this holy season. We have no idea what the motive was here, uh, but we know that two officers are among those injured and at least four um, people are confirmed dead. So we'll continue to certainly follow this breaking news story for you. Five dead, six injured, although I believe they said eight injured. So we have some conflicting numbers this morning being reported, but we're following it for you very carefully. And uh, just a a sad day and a a reminder for all of us, whether no matter what great American city we are living in, that being a police officer is a dangerous job. And those who protect and serve, and as you just heard, their their police chief and the mayor, I know that their governor is on the way to the scene there. But when you think about those who protect and serve, they never know what a day will bring. And if you're a family member, sometimes you, you're thinking you never know when they don't come home. And that's the, the terrifying part of the job. And for me, it's why it's part of the reason I get so infuriated with these different narratives that are so disrespectful to law enforcement who are, by and large, good people, highly trained, um, put up with a whole lot, and don't get the media coverage or the respect that they deserve. You know, I, I, this morning, and I think of, I, I was, you know, reviewing all the different news stories that I was going to talk about. One of the stories, and the way that it was reported was this, you know, how during the George, in the, amid the George Floyd um, tragedy there, and then the protests that followed and the aftermath. And in Philadelphia, the city deciding that they wanted to start this new commission. Remember this? And so the review process by which police action happens was altered. And now they're admitting that more than a year after creating this commission for oversight, They still don't have all the people hired. They're still not doing what they needed to do. And obviously, they should have kept the system of review in place until they got the new one up and running. That's really obvious. And so this is incompetent to me. The fact that it's city council and city leadership, city hall, ultimately, that that is responsible for this. And so they admit, well, we knew that there was going to be a gap and the comment from some some of those in city leadership, the comment made was, well, we've been really lucky that we haven't had, you know, incidents of basically what they're saying. We've been lucky that we didn't have, you know, some of the police brutality that other cities have had. It made my blood boil. The fact that they just go there and say lucky. No, I don't think luck had anything to do with it. I think that, in fact, in Philadelphia, Knockwood, thank God, we have leadership. And I mean, within within the ranks of the Philadelphia police, first of all, we have 
high quality. We do have good training. And although we have shortages right now and we have a hiring crisis, quite frankly, they can't crank out new officers fast enough. But I think that by and large, we've been blessed in Philadelphia when you compare us and our police force and our law enforcement to other major cities that, yeah, have had some real problems with who they're hiring, the standards that they've they've lowered in other cities. And I'm not saying we're, we are perfect, but I'm saying it's not luck. It's leadership. You know, and you think about the FOP and you think about um, the, the leadership within the police department, the rank and file, the captains, the lieutenants, and those who are here. And also the fact that a lot of them, yeah, there, there is a, a family tradition in a lot of, and you know this, in law enforcement, where, and I think of the McNesby's, you know, John McNesby proudly, you know, if you look at his Facebook and his social media, he's very proud of the fact that I believe it, it, he has, right, kids, his daughter, his own family. You know, that that's really a family that you say, this is a family that believes in Philadelphia and believes in law enforcement and it's in their blood. That's really, that's awesome to take that kind of family pride. If they didn't believe in what they're doing, do you think they would ever <laughs> let their their children go into the same profession, right? That shows you something. That, that if you grow up in a family that's proud of protecting and serving and then you are inspired by that, that's wonderful. That's something to celebrate. So for anybody in, in, in City Hall who, by the way, they all have protection. They work in a safe building. They are protected. And you know why they're protected? Because they're protected by police. So for them to say, oh, we've been lucky. I think to me that was, in, oh, I was, you know, and that's even before, that's four o'clock in the morning. That's when it begins for me. And I'm like, oh, they make me so aggravated. And they know full well what I'm saying, but it doesn't fit their narrative of what they want to say. It's just so annoying to me. It truly, it's just beyond, beyond belief that they can get away with this. And that's why I will say it matters that you do your homework and do your due diligence on former city council members now running for mayor. They want to be your next mayor. Be careful because there are some candidates out there who will say anything. You know, the movie Say Anything with my husband loves John Cusack. He loves all those old John Cusack, remember say anything and he's holding up the boom box outside the girl's window. That's that's Helen Gim. I am. So I will say anything because even though I really deep down believe in defund police, it's not really a popular narrative. So say anything. That's how I feel about her. It's very good. Helen Gim. Im- Thank you. Im- imitation. Well, I don't do many good imitations. So for- I was I was riding the dump button right now. I thought you were going to say some <laughs> expletive like Helen Gim just yeah. said <laughs> recently, right? Or potty and, mouth. And what's in the day call that you're taking, Dawn? You make too much sense here when you talk about the schools in the city right now. You're making too much sense. And you grew up in Philadelphia. Went you know went to school here, Overbrook. Yeah. yeah. School for the blind. As Jimmy Kelly is also somebody who. You may not know this about him because we don't we don't focus on it, obviously, because you're a talented, smart guy, grew up here, but you are legally blind. Yeah. And so, you know, in that community, and I know you always want to raise money for people, right. people who have various disabilities and have a lot of empathy. But for you growing up in Philadelphia, when you see all this 
happen, Jimmy. What's your feeling about it? It's just unbelievable how this city has gone down from where it once was and how people don't want to get involved. And I get it because the lawsuits are all over the place. Now, there was just an incident I sent you about a carnival in South Philadelphia where Mm -hmm. this is going on. They wouldn't let that happen years ago. That would not happen years ago. People would be out there, they would be outraged, and they'd be like, hey, bring it on because you're not getting out of here alive. And, and and that's important what you're saying that the that the community the community was active comes and out, they still are yeah. and I'm not saying I'm, we're not encouraging like go out and do no. something violent but just to to show the fact and be verbal about it and go on social media you know even social media to take videos of what's happening and tag all of your city leaders and say hey this is not this is zero tolerance this is not appropriate no. And Not acceptable. Some people, and we've heard the story, we've talked to people even out here who keep saying the same thing. I'd love to be able to come here to Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. I just don't want to do it because I don't want to get involved. I don't want to, I'm worried about getting, you know, attacked or, or held up or God forbid, if one of these people come at me, I'm going to go after them and that's going to be it. It's either going to be them or me. Yeah. And that's a really sad thing. I mean, especially around Christmas time, people love going to... Love Park and the villages and all that. People don't want to do it anymore. They're too afraid. Yeah. And these guys are worried about other things. You have Jim Kenny sitting there worried about a Frank Rizzo statue. Grow up, would you? Put on your big boy pants. Please. <laughs> Go have a, a glass of wine and get out of here. I mean, we're <laughs> counting down the days. Well, he's clearly counting the days. Oh, absolutely. And, and not even having the glass of wine in a Philadelphia restaurant. Oh, which, no, you know, no, 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 no. He shut down all the Philadelphia restaurants, but always seems to go, you know, he just talked in that one, you know, that I, you know, talked about uh, when it happened, when he, he mentions, oh, we had to go out to the suburbs to a BYOB. Yes. Can't even, and then remember during the pandemic, went to the Maryland restaurant yeah. after shutting down restaurants here. Exactly. You know, the guy has, and we've and we've said this a lot. The guy's had his middle finger in our face since the beginning of this pandemic. The guy's had his middle finger in our face, and it just won't ever go away. Yeah, it's a sin. Yes, it is. So I was I was a little bit surprised, although we'll see this moving forward. You know, who's who's going to drop out? So I have my pictures of you know the top mayoral candidates, and then I had to cross off one with um, Maria. So Maria is out. She made it official yesterday. Maria Quinones Sanchez. She's out of the mayoral race. Speaking of Mayor Kenny, who will replace him? If you're looking at the money, who has raised the most money and obviously donated some of his own money? Alan Dom is by far, by far and away has, has the most money. But number two, about not even half of what Dom has raised, and that's Jeff Brown, of course, the only guy who is a business a businessman owns those shop rights and is not quote unquote a career politician, which brings us to Alan Gim and then Rebecca Reinhardt and then Sherelle Parker. okay, I still say do not rule out Sherelle Parker and i I told you about that on Friday. I said it again early this morning i I know that. There are a lot of people saying, oh, there's this dark money and some 40 plus percent of all the money that they're raising is this dark money or outside money outside of Philadelphia. And who are these influencers? And it's it. 
I love the fact that we're having the conversation and we're we're tracking the money and who's donating the money. But it's kind of it's strange to me that the media is covering this now, but of course never covered it before. Never talked about this so-called dark money. I talked about it. You may recall with um, and I I think when I interviewed Clary Schillinger, actually we were talking we were talking about this dark money so-called and how it all works. She had obviously run as a lieutenant governor candidate and is um, very active in the community. But you may remember I brought up the fact that now Senator John Fetterman, when he was running, I would get these postcards in the mail, like a really slick, shiny, glossy, big postcard, like eight by 10 size in the mail. But it was addressed to my you know teenage son who had just gotten his driver's permit. And so obviously they were going into records and they were targeting people. I mean, he's not even a voting age. So I thought, okay, is this DMV? Where are they going with this? But it would just say, hey, we just wanted to educate you on all the different candidates. And John Fetterman, he's a really good guy. And he, and then it was gr- funded by this group that calls themselves an educational group and a nonpartisan group. And I told Clarice about it and she had explained that's dark money because it's a DC think tank group. Who are they? And yet, why are they sending out all these glossy, very expensive advertisements for a candidate like John Fetterman? And by the way, they certainly were not creating any glossy educational material about, you know, Dr. Oz, for example. But they get away with it. They skirt around, you know, um, through loopholes, not so that they don't have to be, you know, bipartisan. They're just because they're just educating you. They're not endorsing a candidate, but they've got his picture all over and tell you how great he is and that sort of thing. Anyway, now we're covering this as far as because all the money, the latest numbers with fundraising had to be in by last week. But big bucks funding flooding Philadelphia's mural race for sure. More than $22.2 million has already been poured into the race. And that's one of the reasons that uh, Maria Quinona Sanchez has said she's dropping out. So one less, but still a flooded pool. Will you change your affiliation before the May 16th primary? If you're thinking about doing that, you have to do it. Well, you know, you have to do it now, essentially, before I think the deadline. I have to make I believe the deadline's May um, May 1st. But you got to do the switch if you are a registered Republican and you want to have a voice in the primary for the Democrats, right? Because we don't have that so-called open primary. And I can I've talked a little bit about that as far as these primaries. Do you know that Republicans in the legislature are the ones who don't want it, which I find interesting. They're among those who want to stop, stop this. Um, so there are a lot of there's a lot of bipartisan support for saying, no, you should be able to vote in a primary and you shouldn't it should not be limited to just Democrats voting for Democrats, Republicans voting for Republicans. But some of those spearheading the, you know, really centering around this issue and they don't want the so-called open primaries are Republicans, not from this area, from Western parts of the state. But we'll talk about that moving forward. But. I do want to hear from you if you're thinking about changing or you've already done that and you've changed your affiliation from a register like independent or Republican 
to Democrat. Why? Because it's likely that the next mayor of Philadelphia, you know, chances are, what are we, seven to one uh, Democrats versus for every one Republican, registered Republican, there are seven Democrats in the city of Philadelphia. Okay, that's so May 16th is widely considered whoever is chosen, whoever wins this primary, most likely is our next mayor of Philadelphia. So Republicans may want to switch over and have a voice in who becomes mayor of Philadelphia. Of course, David O., who I've known a long time, very nice man, Republican, but doesn't, you don't, you know, truthfully, he's not even covered. When you look in locally, the, the Inquirer and the local stations are not talking to David. He doesn't get any coverage, which really is unfair and unjust. So, but that's, uh, that's Philadelphia for you. All right, we'll take a quick break. Get your calls, get your thoughts. And um, yeah, we got the phones lighting up for sure. So we'll get your thoughts right around the corner and cover the latest developments coming right up. I know some of you want to sound off. 855-839-1210. Let me know your thoughts. Let's get to, uh, this is Greg in Bucks County. Hey, Greg. Hey, Donna. How are you today? Good. Very sad uh, events today. Yeah. Prayers go out to everybody. It's just a shame. But, you know, we as a society need to start thinking about this as a societal issue. This is not gun violence. And when we call it gun violence, we're skirting the issue. Mm -hmm. Why are these people doing this stuff? What what has changed in society that we have people picking up guns, which is the easiest mode for them to use? This isn't gun violence. This is people violence. And I'd like to know when we're going to start solving that issue, because the longer we keep saying gun violence, the longer we ignore the real reason and why people are picking up guns to do things like this. Yeah, you're exactly right. And it's I loved that the mayor of Louisville, Kentucky, when they first went to him after we received the the word from their police chief that. You know, officers, two officers are among those injured. Uh, the gunman killed four people. And then the so when we say five dead, the gunman's dead, four victims, innocent victims murdered by this gunman. And then we know that among those injured uh, is are two officers, one critically injured. I loved when the mayor started out, he was asking for prayers. That was a good thing. Then he started going down talking about what you're saying, gun violence. Exactly. And, this is why I told you. Yeah. Exactly right. Yeah. And it's just, and I feel the way you do. It's just, it's so annoying because yeah. you can feel, you just go, oh man, don't, please don't get political when you've got people right. fighting for their life right now in the emergency room, right. doctors and surgeons, right? Like, please just hold off a second. But so no. I believe <laughs> what we should, what we should be doing is not saying that. Yeah. Don't say gun violence. It's people violence. It's a societal issue. And we need to wrap our head around it and figure out what's going on so we can solve it. And we let the media, the mainstream media, is yeah. more than happy to throw it out every day, no matter what. And we need to change that. We need to change how we speak about this so we can bring attention to help people. Yeah, You're exactly right. And Greg, I, I thank you for the call. We need to push for this to say, have the conversation. 
Is it a mental health crisis? Is it a culture of crime, uh, culture of crime crisis? Talk about the issues because the the thought by anybody that they're going to think and look, I'm not I'm not uh, denying that maybe we have this illegal gun trade that obviously is happening. Right. That illegal gun guns are getting in the hands of the wrong people. That, of course, that's undeniable. But by making gun control in this so-called term, you know, gun violence, the issue. Do you really think that the gangbangers here in Philadelphia or those in the in the gun trade back and forth using the open border to their advantage, for example? And these are Americans, too, and gangs back and forth and open border. Woohoo. They're coming back. So we've never seen this before at this level with the guns and the drugs and the human trafficking, the whole thing, right? Do we think that the gangbangers, wherever they are in our city, in our area and across the country are going to go, oh, well, boy, they've got, oh, they're cracking down on the gun violence. So uh, I I better, I guess we better get a permit and we better abide. It's it's absurd to think that, right? So what we have here in truth, is a criminal crisis, a gang crisis, a crime crisis, a drug violent, a drug and gang crisis. All of this combined. It's not in a vacuum. We have a mental health crisis, too. So it's it's a multi, you know, it's a multi-layered issue for sure. It's not one of those things. It's not any one. You can't just blame the fact that we have these district attorneys who messed up and leaders in cities who messed up. You can't just blame them, but is it, is that a huge factor? Yes, of course it is. But we have to look at the whole picture, right? And look at everything to try to solve this thing. And we should be solving it, but we're not even looking at it. And yeah, the way the media, the so-called mainstream media is reporting on this is a disgrace, and the way that they choose, for example, the, the Nashville shooting with, I mean, that to me is infuriating. With six people murdered, a dedicated custodian, this gentleman laid to rest last week, three little kids, six-year-olds, and two other educators, beloved, and their families left behind. The fact that this shooter, that all they focus on, even the Biden administration, is uh, the the gender of this individual is a disgrace. The fact that they have not released the manifesto is ridiculous. And by all accounts, it sure appears that this person who went to the school was receiving counseling at the school by the pastor who helps to run the school, okay, And by the way, the pastor's own six-year-old child was shot at fairly close range by that individual in Nashville. There's no question in my mind that that shooter knew who that kid was and potentially targeted that kid. The fact that they're not identifying this as a hate crime is is ridiculous and the way that the media is covering this we had six little six-year-olds three of them gunned down oh my goodness it's just this shows you i think when we talk about the mental health crisis the media the mainstream media they have lost their minds you wonder why their ratings have just plummeted 
This is why, in part. Because I think we all know instinctively it's wrong what they're doing. The way they cover our cities, our communities, it's terrible. It really is. It's a sin, as I say. And this as I will, I will also tell you, uh, this as you think about what's going on in the city, for example, you know, just the, the car thefts. There's a, there are some new stats out, you know, when you think about car theft and how it's on the rise in Philadelphia. And these thefts of, for example, especially the Kias and the Hyundais, this surge of thefts, 58% of the thousands of more than 5,000 stolen vehicle reports, that was just during the first three months of the year. These are Philadelphia police numbers. And you think about these vehicles in particular being targeted, Kias and Hyundais. And remember, and this is, I've reported on this, as you well know, that it's because of the fact that that TikTok video was essentially teaching people how these cars have a, a vulnerability, right? Because you can just use a USB device to start up the vehicles. And I, I've talked about that at length. But a lot of juveniles are behind the overwhelming majority of these vehicle thefts, underage, so 17 and under. And where's the crackdown? Where are the news conferences of our elected officials saying whether it's a carjacking or your car being stolen, we're all over this. But no, they're on the rise. And that's just within the past, you know, 90 days. Think about it. So it's, it, I know that there are lawsuits now and Kia and Hyundai, you know, taking, uh, taking some ownership of that and dealing with it. But the fact that our city is slow to deal with this stuff and always has some expl- explanation without the action. It's not acceptable. All right, 855-839. Let me take one more call really quick here. Uh, this is Hector in Camden. Hey, Hector. Yeah, yeah. how you doing? Yeah, I just wanted to say that um, the interactions between the police and the, uh, and the citizen has to do with the attitude of the police officer and the attitude of the citizen. And I know what you're referring to, those gang mangers, uh, they have drugs, guns. But you can make, the police can make findings about them because they're uh, they, they are under surveillance and they arrest them and all that. But when those findings are applied to, uh, to an entire group of people, that's, that's where I believe it's unfair. For example, a few weeks ago, Dom Giordano was talking about, was talking about an incident where this African-American woman inside a car with the tinted windows, the police officer approached her with a, with a gun drawn. Well, see, that's improper police procedure because if the police are going to believe that, you know, everyone kind of like uh, detests the police and uh, holds them in contempt, you know, that attitude uh, is going to influence the police officer's behavior. And and the police officers are supposed to leave that attitude out of that confrontation because every confrontation with the police, whether the police officer is white, or the citizen is white, it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. There's going to be a lot of, there's going to be a lot of anxiety in the, you know, in the police officer and in the, the citizen. But the police officer, the police officer can alleviate a lot of that anxiety by, you know, being polite. For example, a, a traffic police officer can unbuckle his helmet, take off his uh, sunglasses, and use a firm tone of voice, not ag- overly aggressive or hostile, you know, very, very polite. That can alleviate a lot of the anxiety. Uh, I mean, I remember an, an incident where I was uh, working in a gas station and these guys came over and they, they were screaming at me, I'm going to bust your ass, bust your ass. 
I, I just, I was polite to them. Mm-hmm. And they started acting like a bunch of monkeys banging on the roof of their car. But they, you know what? They just drove away. They didn't do anything to me. But then the other guy that I was working with, he was a little bit more aggressive than I was. And he got shot and killed. Oh, my so, gosh. So, yeah, it, it was in uh, the Admiral Wilson Boulevard in Canada some time ago. Uh, the gas station there, right, right at the foot of the Ben Franklin Bridge. It used to be a married gas station. Now I think it's hats. But it, it all depends on the attitude because attitudes shape the behavior of people. You know, attitudes are connected with feelings, beliefs, opinions, views about all sorts of things. And, and the way people feel about things determine substantially what they do about them. So I, I believe that police officers are supposed to be taught in the police academy to be polite when they make contact with a citizen. It doesn't matter whether the officer is white or whatever, you know, it, every situation is there's going to be a lot of anxiety. Uh, and that, that's what I, I, because someone, most, a lot of people are not involved with the drugs, are not involved with the guns. But if the police, so a police officer has that attitude that somebody with tinted windows is, is that kind of a person, that kind of a guy or that kind of a gal, mm-hmm. then, you know, the police officer is going to approach that person with a gun drawn and all hell is going to break loose, guaranteed. Uh, so that's that's what I wanted to say. Well, I appreciate your call. And I I will say that. So um, just to clarify, the incident that that you were referring to was not Philadelphia. It was Lower Marion. And you may recall we had we had covered this extensively at the time. So what what happened here and the union was not happy with ultimately a 10 day suspension that was lodged by the board there against police officer Charles Murphy. And so I do have to take a quick break, but I'll, I'm going to address this on the other side because of the tinted windows. It was impossible for that officer to know that that driver of that vehicle, which by the way, had refused to pull over. In other words, had pulled over initially in the situation and then took off. But, and there were charges against the driver, but I, I'm just going to tell you that initially that officer had no idea whether the driver of the car that took off was a woman, the ethnicity of that person, because they were dark tinted windows. So ultimately I I will say that we'll, we'll get into it. I will just clarify some things about that case and I'll update you on that as well as the other stories of the day coming right back. I just want to update you on that case of officer Charles Murphy in Lower Marion. Now, I had covered this extensively, and we I know we had talked about it, but just to clarify a few things, that the FOP, you know, representing the union, representing Lower Marion police, had stood in solidarity, felt it was really unfair, and it was kind of a political persecution, if you will, um, because the Lower Marion Police Union had really decried that, two-week suspension without pay for an officer who they said really did not violate their policy. So initially there was a, after an internal investigation, the decision was made that there would be a one-day suspension without, without pay. Okay. Then the news media, you know, started swirling. The NAACP was, you know, was representing the woman who was they were trying to pull over at this point. And all of a sudden, the board votes and says, no, 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 it's a 10-day suspension without pay. 
And that was it was mid-March that we had reported on that. If you remember, it was right around St. Patrick's Day, as I as I recall. So the FOP, Lower Marion FOP, Lodge 28, uh, they say that this is irrational, it's punitive, when in fact, if you look at the whole story, this was an officer who's trying to pull somebody over. You remember this? And it was actually a, a car and somebody in a truck, as I recall. They're, you know... They're tailgating each other. There's something going on. They both go to pull over, but then, according to the police reports and the camera and so on, uh, they they both s- sped off. And this car, in particular, speeds off. So now this is a person who's refusing to pull over for law enforcement. I don't know about you, but is that something that you've done? I've never done that before. If if I see the lights behind me, I'm pulling over, right? And what do you do? I turn off the vehicle. I roll down the window. If it's at nighttime, I'm putting the interior light on. I pull. I get out my ID, license, and registration. Hands are 10 and 2 on the steering wheel. That's how I was trained. And if you have a key, my dad always said, you put the key on the dash, interior lights on. That's how you, that's how you get pulled over. That's how you roll. That was that was how my dad taught us to drive. If you're pulled over, yes, sir, yes, officer, no, sir, you're respectful. No incidents in my family. But the thought of fleeing from an officer, <laughs> I mean, I, w- I would never do such a thing. Now, if, if, if there is a situation, law enforcement will tell you that if there's a situation where, especially if you're a woman and it's at night, let's say in the dark, and it doesn't, something doesn't quite look right, you don't feel comfortable they tell you, you call 911, you get on the phone, you put on your four-way hazard lights, and you drive slowly. You call 911, you say, I, I, there's a car behind me, it kind of looks like an unmarked vehicle or what have trying to pull me over. I'm trying to look for the nearest police station. I'm trying to comply, but I'm scared. You, you know, that's perfectly legal, right? But none of that happened here. And then let us remember that the 36-year-old woman who's from Plymouth Meeting, she has been charged with fleeing or attempting to elude police, resisting arrest, driving driving with a suspended license, and other offenses as well. Okay? So she's been charged with other, you know, other criminal charges and maybe just maybe was trying to, you know, flee the officer because there was a, a, license, a license suspension and, and there were other issues going on here, right? But none of that gets reported. That's if that gets reported, it's way down in the story, if you notice. So for this, I would just say with the the police, if you live in the suburbs and you want to make sure that the crime that has been plaguing the city of Philadelphia does not come to the suburbs, you do not want this kind of situation. Because when police officers are on the job and they make split second decisions, right? Because you don't know, with all the police shootings and violence against police, you don't know as an officer why somebody is evading you. They've got darkened windows. They're now refusing to pull over. They're eluding the police. And so to say that that officer should not draw their firearm, I just want you to put yourself in that position. Okay, what do you do then? Stay in your vehicle and say, I'm not getting out of my car. But the person finally pulled over, so, uh, you know, you better get a lot of backup here. 
we we have police officers to protect and serve. So if that officer is approaching a vehicle and that person in that car is not rolling down their darkened window, how in the heck is the officer supposed to know that the person on the other side of that tinted window is not holding a high-powered firearm? I'm just I'm just asking you <laughs> what they're supposed to do. So that officer was complying with the way that the officer was trained. That officer had reason to believe that the person on the other side of that darkened window who he cannot see, he can't see, he doesn't know if the person has a gun, doesn't know what the person looks like. He only knows that this person has been violating the law and has been evading police. I, I You know, what would you want your loved one to do? What would you? I, I ask you. 855-839-1210. This is, but if officers don't know that their leadership and their municipality, their board, their city, their mayor, if they don't know that that leadership has their backs, then they hesitate. What's the saying? He who hesitates or she who hesitates is lost. If we have law enforcement hesitating, they're either going to get killed on the job, injured on the job, or or what what happens is they let criminals and dangerous people go free. That's the bottom line here. All right, we got to take another break real quick. I want to update you on the breaking news moving forward. Be right back. So we start out this Easter Monday. I told you about the fact that we couldn't go into our parish, our church, our Mother of Consolation because of that huge fire uh, that took down the, the adjacent school. But there was another fire around the same time, and that was Fountain of Life Center. And they marked Easter Sunday yesterday as a homecoming for hundreds after that devastating fire. Listen in. Happy Easter, everyone, and welcome back to campus. Thank you. This Easter, an emotional return for members of the Fountain of Life Center in Burlington. The fire was very unfortunate, and it was just great to see everyone in the community come back and, you know, reunite. On March 20th, a devastating fire tore through the church. Firefighters were able to save half of the building used for offices and the school, Life Center Academy. In a matter of days, church staff and volunteers retrofitted the basketball courts for services moving forward. Like the Bible tells us, in everything we should give thanks. We're grateful we even have the gym. And Easter Sunday, there were two services collectively welcoming more than 2,000 members and visitors. We're just grateful to that the church is still together. Um, it doesn't matter if it's in the, the cathedral or if it's in here or at the school, as long as we're all together. Churchgoers are also stopping by to take a look at this cross. It actually used to sit on top of the steeple of the church that burned. Getting it here was a team effort. The cross that was on the steeple actually fell right into the middle of the sanctuary, right? Um, it was covered in ashes, covered in dirt, um, and then three of the pastors, myself included, and about 10 other volunteers uh, came out to uh, remove the cross from the metal base that it was, and we carried it out of the, the sanctuary. Executive Pastor Ruben Ramos says their hope is for everyone to feel cared for and welcomed, and out of the devastating loss, they're excited for what God has planned for them. We're looking at that 
that as an opportunity to remind our people, remind ourselves of the resurrection power of God. Many are wondering, but the cause of the fire is undetermined. We talked to church leadership and they say plans to rebuild are underway and they're looking at a timeline of three years. In one half, it's so rejoiceful to be here back on campus. On the other half, we're seeing the reminder. Yeah, the cross is so symbolic. So it's a it's a combination of being happy, but at the same time, not forgetting. Yeah, and it's so important. And the, the community is really beautiful here coming together. And I would say our community in the Chestnut Hill section of Philadelphia with OMC after the fire is there's a real spirit of coming together and rebuilding and fundraising. Certainly that has brought us together. You know, I, I, I think it's important to think about this. We don't talk enough about it. Faith and communities and people coming together, especially in light of this devastating situation uh, that I've been reporting on with, I know that the, the governor uh, there of um, Kentucky fighting back tears, revealing his friend was among the four people murdered by this disgruntled bank staffer who shot up a, a work conference this morning and two officers injured as you know, we think about, as we think about this going on, but let's listen in. This was Henry found kind of an uplifting story about Philadelphians reflecting on Easter, Easter traditions and what it means. Listen in. R&R Produce and Garden Center on Allegheny and Aramingo Avenue in Port Richmond had a steady stream of people trying to find flowers for the holiday. What are the popular things that people are buying? The geraniums, <laughs> the, the, the hyacinth, the palm crosses, and um, the Londons and, you know, the graves, the grave markers, the crosses. Manager Dave Trout says business is good, and he's selling lots of grave markers. What's your favorite? My favorite? It'd be uh, hyacinth. They're, they're vibrant in color and very fragrant, too. They smell very good. You can smell them as soon as you walk uh, in. You'd be across the street and you can smell them. For many, flowers are a welcome treat. Sal Santana says he worked today, but wanted to make sure he brought his girlfriend some flowers before he headed uh-huh. home. Basically, we're just going to make a little dinner for the two of us, you know, Sweet. hang out, maybe watch a movie. Donna Walski says she buys Easter flowers for her sister-in-law, grandparents, and her aunt every year, and then they get together and feast. Usually it's kibasi. Um There's like a, like a soup that she makes, different salads and things like that. That sounds delicious. Most people cook ham. <laughs> uh, American, yeah, tradition, American tradition. But not in your Polish household? No. This is a picture of their Easter dinner. Andrew Walski, Donna's son, says he's looking forward to dinner and seeing his extended family. Uh, I get to spend time with family, get to meet them, because we don't get to see them that much throughout the year. This is the time that we come together and celebrate. Well, clearly, I worked today, but I got up early and I made a quiche for breakfast with home fries, cut up some cantaloupe, and I steamed asparagus, baked a ham, made some collard greens, mac and cheese, mm. rice and peas with coconut milk, and a potato salad. What a great report and making us hungry this uh, this noon hour as we turn it over to Dom Giordano, trying to end on a, a little bit of a light note, thinking about the good food, the faith, the family that we celebrated over the Easter weekend as now we look to the breaking news story in Kentucky and continue to learn more more from what happened in that tragic bank shooting. Dom Giordano is here. 
Hey, uh, Jim Jordan will be with us at 12.15, and we'll get an update. I don't know how many people, Don, they're bringing in associated with Alvin Bragg. I have a scorecard here, and we'll go through each one with Jim Jordan in about 15, 18 minutes. Good. Remembering the victims of all that violence that's been happening in New York City under Bragg. Dom Giordano's show is happening right now. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app.